Good morning. How you guys doing? Good. All right. Um, who has enjoyed our first night in a few weeks of like 70 degree weather instead of like 95 degree weather? Yes. Praise the Lord for that one, right? Um, well, again, my name is Cooper Jensen. Uh, I am the junior high pastor here at Life Center North. I'm very honored to be speaking this morning. Um, usually I'm hanging out with the fifth and sixth grade out uh, in the greenhouse on Sundays or on Wednesday nights with the junior high group. Um, and I love what I do. I love seeing students uh, inspired to say yes to Jesus in whatever is coming up in their life. And right now, we're getting ready for our summer camps, our Collide summer camps. And so if you are a praying person, we need your prayers for a few things. Number one, that these students would be impacted by God while they're up at that summer camp. But number two, that they take a shower, right? <laughs> and maybe that they hang up their wet and dirty clothes after swimming so that's not like this little ball of mildew, just grossness. Happens every year at junior high camp. I just don't understand it. So if you are a praying person, be praying for that. Um, also, after this service, we have a barbecue out across the parking lot that our students are putting on to help earn some money for them to get up to camp. So if you are hungry, you want a really nice, just gourmet hot dog that is cooked by a junior high student, go over there. We also have chips and lemonade too. But it really does, we would love for you guys to partner with us to help those students get up to camp as well. So um, yes, I am honored to be here this morning. I'm excited for what God's going to speak to all of us through his word. And today, I'm going to be teaching out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. So if you have your Bible with you, you can get that out right now. If you have an iBible, like on your smartphone or something like that, you can get out of Facebook or Instagram and stop stalking the person next to you um, and switch into your Bible app. Maybe it's your version. Um, but we're going to be in Ephesians, chapter 6, uh, chapter six verses 5 through 9. Um, as a church, we've been going through the book of Ephesians for the last few months, actually, uncovering a lot of biblical truth uh, that we can apply to some of our real-world situations, to parenting, to relationships, to big questions like, why do I keep sinning if I'm a Christian? And what I love about Ephesians, and in this book, is it all comes back to this truth of our identity in Christ, that this understanding that as a Christ follower, we have a new life found in Jesus and really nothing else. Our identity is not found in what People Magazine says of us, what BuzzFeed on Facebook says of us, um, what school we're going to go to, what school our kids go to, how many pounds of ribs I smoked on my Traeger last weekend. That's not our identity, right? Our identity is found in Jesus. And that's what I love about this book of Ephesians that Paul writes for us, is that we have God's unconditional love for us as his children. And out of response of that, we view life differently and we live life differently. We live life with a purpose and we live life with a hope. We even actually sung about that in that last song when we were doing some worship about how we just thank the Lord that he's given us a purpose, really. And that's very true, and that's what it speaks of in this book of Ephesians. So today, we're going to be breaking down what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians about our relationship uh, as employees and bosses and what that looks like, how we should act, work, maybe oversee if we have a business or, or whatnot, um, and how we actually do that work for the Lord. But before we dive in, I'd love to pray just over our time, and then we'll go into Ephesians chapter 6. Do you guys uh, bow your heads with me? Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the things you do for us and how you speak to us as individuals, that you know exactly what we need to hear. 
So Lord God, this morning I pray that our hearts are open, our minds are open to receive from your holy scriptures the truth you want us to uncover, Lord God. And so just, just help us be, have those listening ears for your Holy Spirit to work. And Lord, we thank you and we give you honor this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Uh, the verses will also be up on the screens behind me for you to follow along as well. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm, as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will, re will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Now, something I want to do right away off the top is expand on these first few verses. Because um, when I was reading it, and I'm on these, this translation too, the term slave or bondservant um, is mentioned, and it comes up, and maybe in a way that wouldn't say slavery is bad, or it just kind of might be a little bit confusing. So I want to address that. And I looked into um, some research um, about this and how we, in the current culture right here, 2015, in Spokane, Washington, can apply what Paul is saying in, um, in these first verses. So first off, is the, is the Bible or Paul promoting slavery? Absolutely not. It's a big N-O. He is not. What Paul is doing in this uh, part of the scripture is he's writing to the common culture of the Ephesians, which is in the first century A.D., and essentially, in Ephesus, that was the city, it was a Roman, Roman culture. And in that Roman co uh, culture, slavery was at the basis of their workforce. That's how they actually had their economy kind of um, based, was in slavery. And in this section of Paul's letter, he was writing to what he saw and interacted with kind of on a daily basis in the markets, just kind of going to and fro. And this form of slavery, uh, I also want to address, in the first century is different from the tragic abuse that we witnessed or that we read about in our early American history um, during the Civil War times. Paul is writing to a different form of slavery in the first century here in Ephesus. And what he is writing to is essentially an indentured servitude. People paying off debts that they really couldn't afford. There was no way they could pay it off. So they would actually enslave themselves to that debt holder um, until they worked it off, maybe after five years, 10 years, maybe 30 years, whatever it might be, so that they can be then free of that debt. It's still bad and unfair, but it is much different from the form of slavery that we know of here that was used in America. And this is obviously a very deep subject. I don't want to, you know, just spend a little bit of time on it. If you want to talk to me afterwards about it, I would love to. There's a lot more research and other things that we can talk on with this. But I want us to know is what Paul was doing was writing to this common culture that he was seeing in first century A.D. And it's also in Paul's other letters to the church um, in, 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 within the Bible that we really see his heart. We see him preach about the equality of humans in Christ Jesus. And we see his heart to treat all humans fairly. It was actually in those writings that led and inspired the abolition movement and ended slavery here in America and abroad in the late 1800s. But now, we go to us here in Spokane, Washington, 2015. 
what we can take from this section of Scripture and in this context was that Paul was writing again to the normal Roman culture, and that was the structure of slaves and masters. Much like if Paul was here in Spokane, he'd be writing to the normal uh, structure of our workforce, which is employees and bosses. That's what he would see and interact with here in Spokane. Um, that could also be broken down to some other similar relationships, such as uh, students, teachers, maybe some parents, kids, even unemployed and potential employees. So essentially view the words slaves or bondservants that he's writing in the scripture and view that with your current situation that you are in. It might bring a little bit more of a, of a newer insight for you um, for where you're at right now in life. So what I want to do is I want to put those uh, scriptures back up on the screen and maybe just put in some different words that might help um, bring some context for that. So verses 5 through 7, you can go ahead and put them up there, Byron. Sweet, thank you. So instead of slaves, we might say employees Obey your earthly bosses with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves or servants of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Now, verse 7 is key. I want to kind of uh, park on that area for a little bit. That holds a lot of meat that I want to unpack for us um, about working with enthusiasm and working for the Lord rather than working for people. Um, so now, I don't know about you, but I've had a few jobs in my young career of having jobs in high school and in college and as a young adult. That I've had some jobs I didn't have much enthusiasm for. I don't know if maybe you've experienced that same thing. One of my first jobs in college was working at Denny's um, as a dishwasher during the graveyard on the weekends, which wasn't very fun as a young college student. And even more so, at around 2 a.m. in Spokane, all the bars would close down, but people still wanted to have a good time, right? It's 2 a.m., they're having a good old party, and they're hungry, right? And so where's the one place that you can get amazing flapjacks, waffles, nachos, mozzarella sticks, whatever you want? Denny's, right? So there's that one guy who at like 2 in the morning is like, the bar's closed, who cares? Let's get some waffles. Let's go to Denny's. Come on, let's get like 50 people to go with us. So that's what would happen is it'd be me as a dishwasher slash busser slash host slash cleaner of bathrooms from puke. And then there would be the one cook and there would be the one server. And then like 50 people would rush in for pancakes and whatever else they wanted for their heart's desire. And I was not very enthused during those times, right? I was not thinking what Paul was writing here in Ephesians chapter six of working for the Lord. I was just like, dude, I wanna go home right now and get some rest, because I have till 6 in the morning, and I'm going to turn into a vampire and sleep all day for my next graveyard shift, right? So I wasn't very enthusiastic. And maybe you can relate with that with some past jobs, or maybe you can even relate with that right now in some of your current jobs, where it's hard to be enthused about what you are doing, about the purpose in your job. And you may even lose some focus on your job and just be like, I don't really care right now, right? And so... Um, what I also want to maybe help in is bring some other real-world situations that we may see on the internet, and that's the great thing about the, the internet, is we can see other people maybe fail at jobs or, or whatever, and, I, and I'm going to do that in a way called uh, pictures. You had one job, pictures. You might have been familiar with these on the internet. It's essentially um, people who may have lost focus for a quick second in their job. Maybe they just weren't really enthused that particular day in whatever they were doing, and some stuff went down, Right? So, of course, 
us in our technology-driven world, we have our smartphones, we take a picture of whatever happened, and then plaster all over the internet, all right? So this may give you some hope that you're not doing too bad in your job, or it may give you some comfort being like, I've done that before. Yes, somebody else maybe messed up. That was me when I looked at all those pictures. Um, so I want to put some pictures up for you guys. They're called the You Had One Job. So here's the first one. This person had one job to make sure they got the right continent, and I guess they flunked second grade geography. That's okay. Next time. All right, next one. Um, Crack-resistant cement did not become very crack-resistant. So I guess it wasn't a one person's job. Maybe it was. They just, the sign right there. I mean, it had one job. Don't crack. This is the promo. Um, next one. Actually, a pretty good job with the, with the logo there for the football field. Looks nice. But if you notice something, something's a little bit off. Go to the next picture here. Oh, there it is. Just missed it off by five yards. Wasn't too bad. <laughs> just maybe didn't have their Snickers that day and uh, just missed it by five yards. Um, the next one. Amazing, not too amazing. <laughs> hey, it makes it easy though, right? That's a maze that I can complete. Yes. And then the last one right here, I just love. Don't get paid enough to do this. Yes. That guy was not very enthused, or, or woman, whoever it was, was not very enthused about the, that particular job, right? So now we can all get a couple of laughs from those pictures. Again, maybe a little bit of hope that we haven't done too bad in what we're doing. But what, what I want to start to understand and, what, and kind of dig out from what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 6 is that whatever our one job is, whatever that might be, that we do that, that one job as best as we can with enthusiasm, as though we are working for the Lord. So that goes to our very first point right here, and it's this. Our one job is to work for Jesus, not for the man. Our one job is to work for Jesus, not for the man. As Christians, we should be setting the example in whatever job we hold. It doesn't matter if we make six figures a year or two figures a year, maybe are not even currently employed, or a stay-at-home mom or dad, uh, maybe we're going to school full-time. Whatever it is, we have a job to do, whatever that context might be. And we should accomplish that job, as it says in verses 5 through 7. That means working with all enthusiasm, as though working for the Lord. So that might be with some sincerity, working with respect, working wholeheartedly, and doing all of this even when no one is looking, even when no one's there to give you a little pat on the back. I remember as a kid, cleaning up my room, my mom wouldn't wash me all the time, so I just opened my closet up and put all my stuff in there, right? I was like, nobody's going to see what I just did, and I'll close my closet, like pin it down, make sure it doesn't fall open with a bunch of clothes and toys. Um, but nobody was really watching me. And so in that circumstance, it doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're going to be working for the Lord no matter what, even when no one's there to give us that pat on the back. And so as Christians in the workplace, the classroom, or at home, we should always model the character of Christ. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect in um, every single situation that we run into, but what I'm saying is that we should be aware of and think through with this frame of mind that our one job as Christians in the workplace is to work for Jesus, not to work for the man. And that as, whole, as, as employees, students, and someone looking for a job, that we display the characteristics of the Holy Spirit living within us, that we are patient, forgiving, respectful of other times by being punctual and being on time. We're eager to learn. 
We display a joyful spirit regardless of the task at hand. We don't seek to take power or undermine authority. We use good words. We communicate humility. And we are a person of integrity. And now, do people know you as the person who might show up five or ten minutes late with the Dutch bros? Like, oh, sorry, man. Uh, right? Or maybe you're that Debbie Downer in every meaning. Or maybe you're the person who takes freebies, even when they're not technically freebies, at your work, right? How do people really know you in your workplace? Now, it's not always easy to look at what we're doing um, at all times. If we start looking through this lens that we're working for Jesus at all times, we're not working for the man, and we realize that, man, Christ did this for us as well. We realize how patient Christ is in our life, how forgiving he can be in our life, and how kind Christ has been and will be in our own lives, it's through that realization that we begin to have this new culture that whatever we're doing, that one job we have, we work for Jesus and not for the man, no matter what job we may or may not hold. Now, when we we demonstrate those qualities, verse 8 is pretty clear in saying that we're going to be rewarded. So most likely your boss will probably see an improvement in your attitude um, just your, your way of working. That leads you to win some of their favor, maybe to become more promotable, more marketable, and that can lead to some great rewards right there. But in that context, some of you might be saying, like, dude, Coop, you don't know my boss, bro. Like, I've been working for 30 years at my job with no promotion, no pay raise. It sucks, right? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I probably don't know who your boss is, but I also want to make a clear distinction that in those circumstances, It's more than just pleasing our boss at work and earning their favor to get a pay raise or a promotion. That it's about honoring God with enthusiasm in whatever we are doing. And that reward that's promised by God in the scripture doesn't always come in that materialistic way through a pay raise or through a promotion, but it comes in the peace knowing that we are a part of God's will and knowing that he sees the good works in our life and his reward, uh, reward will be perfect in exactly what we need. So now, if you can think back to that first time when maybe you're, you're, you were a kid and your mom and dad um, said good job to you, gave you a pat on the back, or maybe a coach, a teacher, or a grandparent, let you know how pleased they were in what you did. And they were just like, man, we are so proud of you. And that felt good as a kid, right? It felt amazing. You were just like, yes, thank you. You felt very much loved in that situation. And that's the same way with God, and even much more rewarding when we know that God tells that of us, that he's pleased in what we're doing, when we honor him in our work. And that reward, my friends, is much greater than any materialistic reward that we can get, knowing that God, our heavenly Father, the one who hand-created us, is proud of us, and it is very happy with what we're doing. So now, with our frame of mind focused on our one job, which is to work for Jesus, our actions become different from the status quo, from the normal, everyday working person. People begin to notice a difference and maybe even will start to ask questions like, man, uh, why are you so happy cleaning up all these porta potties after Hoop Fest? It's like 105 degrees. Or you're not mad that you have to rewrite your whole 20-page essay for your, for your professor? Man. And so with those questions, what's so great is we can easily respond with a, with a gospel-oriented response of like, hey, you know, I realize it might be tough, but I'm choosing to work for Jesus because he saved my life. Boom, point blank right there, right? 
Jesus Christ gave everything for us, so in my work, I'm going to give him my all. And that's where that gospel can be communicated to those people that we might work with. And so with that, we become a vessel to be used to further God's kingdom and bring hope to people who are lost. And that's our main goal right there is to communicate that gospel to the people who need hope the most. And attitudes can say a lot with only saying a little. And with a great attitude, our influence can affect people in a very positive way, especially on the job. So that goes into our second point for this morning is this. Our attitudes and actions while on the clock can provide opportunities to share our faith while off the clock. So we have, we've experienced freedom in Christ. We've experienced unconditional love in Christ. And we want others to know about that. But a lot of places of employment um, may not allow you to talk about your faith in the workplace. You might find yourself in a rock and a hard place where there is that real world fear you can be fired or let go by just talking about Jesus or talking about church or whatever, or even asking like, hey, can I just pray for you? That might offend somebody, right? And that's a real world fear. And it's a common thing in our current culture right now where religion is left out of the workplace. And that can be very discouraging. But know that our story, our faith journey, can speak loudly without words and speak clearly through our actions. Remember that our attitudes and actions, while on the clock, can provide those key opportunities to share our faith while off the clock. So maybe the next time uh, you're at work and you are tasked with a very, you might say, dumb, pointless, doesn't matter, hard job, you're just like, oh man, like I don't want to do this. So maybe on that next time that happens if you, uh, in, in, in the workplace, remember you have maybe one or two choices on this. On the one hand, you can whine about that task. You can grumble. You can come in with a very negative attitude, even spread some, like, maybe some rumors like, oh, man, my boss is the worst. Maybe do this, 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 right? You could do that, and maybe those people wouldn't really bat an eye, your, 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 your fellow workers. They'd be like, yeah, dude, you're, you're totally valid in that, man. Your job sucks, right? And they kind of, like, agree with you in that, in that circumstance, or what you can do is you can choose to remember that our one job is to work for Jesus, not for the man, and to do that one job with enthusiasm as though we are working for the Lord, no matter what that job is. And it's in those choices that you make that people will notice a difference in you, and that, again, provides those opportunities to share your faith story with the other people around you. Another application with the same idea is that when we're looking for a job and no job is becoming a reality, those feelings of defeat, discouragement, or that you'll never amount to anything also provide us with some choices in looking for a job. Number one, we can stay in that state of defeat, or we can remember in those times of struggle that God is on our side. He's going to take care of us. There's a plan in my life, and nothing's going to get in the way of God's plan for my life, according to, this, to these jobs, right? It's in those moments of struggle where you remember that God is there for us and to trust in what he has. And when you turn in your resumes, call potential employers, fill out applications, even if it's the hundredth one, you do it with enthusiasm to honor God. Now, you may never get around to seeing the effects of your interactions by the way you greet people when handing in a resume or even the polite understanding um, way that you handle the news, the job went to somebody else. 
Um, in, those, in those circumstances, the witness, though, that you do have is huge and key, and you're going to have a massive impact on others who are struggling as well to find a job. And they see you just knowing that God has a plan for you and to honor even in this time of searching and maybe a time of just like, I've been out in this workplace for a while finding no jobs. In those times, when you honor God and you give him all your trust and you work with enthusiasm, that's where people start to see the difference in you and start to see a hope and a purpose within you that's far greater than just what we have as humans, just in our own context. It's bigger because it's God-given, and it's because of Christ's death for us. And so um, in these circumstances, that's where I feel like Paul is really telling us to kind of dig out some truth, is that in our job, whatever it is, there is a purpose and there is a hope. And that's to communicate the gospel in that, in whatever we're doing, and to work for the Lord uh, in all things with 100% enthusiasm. So now, we've talked a lot about the employee side of this employee-boss relationship. What about the boss side? What about the big dudes, right? What does Paul address for those who are in a position of leadership? Uh, Maybe own their own business, oversee a larger population, uh, more than just themselves, um, have an influence over other people. Well, Paul actually says pretty much the exact same thing as he says to the employees, and that's work with enthusiasm under the Lord. And that's our main job. Remember that our one job is to work for Jesus, not for the man. Even if you are the man, you're still your one job is to work for Jesus. And so that leads me to our third point for all of us who are bosses, maybe the big kahuna, the godfather, whatever it is. We are not the boss. God is. And it's pretty direct in that point, but I feel like Paul was pretty direct in his saying of like, hey man, you guys literally are not the boss. God is. So even if you are the big boss, and uh, just know that the buck doesn't stop with you. Both the employee and the the employer share a common boss, and that is God. But God is, again, more than just this boss who's just telling you what to do and do this and do that and just ordering things around. No, God is our friend. He is our heavenly father. He's our creator. He's the best boss we'll ever have to ever work for. God is the type of boss who literally sacrifices everything for his employees, which is us, and he does that willingly with no favor asked back. And that's the type of boss that you and I work for, the type of boss that you and I should also uh, have as an example for us to become as well. Um, But Paul also adds another layer to how we need to act as leaders or as, as employers, and he says to not threaten, he does say that, not threaten your workers, because both the employer and the employee have the same main boss, and that's God. So we're going to put up verse 9 up here again, kind of remind us. I'm going to again kind of switch out some of the, some of the verbiage here, where um, it'll say, employers, treat your employees in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you have the same uh, employer in heaven, the same boss in heaven, and he has no favorites. Now, as a boss or a person of influence over others, you're not really exempt from displaying what it looks like to be a Christian in the workplace. And I would, in fact, say you have an even higher responsibility to show what it means to be a Christian in the workplace, to show responsibility, patience, kindness, respect, humility, and a readiness to serve because of your influence. When an employee succeeds, 
you celebrate, you encourage, and you celebrate with them in a big, big way. When an employee fails, you are also gracious and you understand in that failing at the same time. Just like Christ is with us on a daily basis when we fail and we don't, you know, come up to par at all, Christ is always there to understand and he's always there to forgive and to help us, right? So don't just sit back as, a, as an employer and think only what's best for the company or your company, but evaluate and ask yourself, what is God's best for the person that God has placed under my influence? What is God's best for that person? Now, does that mean you allow your employees to get away with murder? No, absolutely not. That would be bad. Um, through your example, as their boss or leader, you provide those opportunities for your employees to assess their attitudes and actions, and you empower them to become better, right? In the times of successes, you celebrate with them. In the times of failings, you're understanding those same times. And Paul is clear in saying that threats are a no-go for motivating your workforce. Maybe a few of us can relate to that, and then we, we, maybe we've been threatened in an unhealthy way. So just think of in the, in the opposite way, as you as a boss should not threaten your employees. And Paul is clear in saying that. When, man, when uh, managing people, we need wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. In Proverbs 3, the wisest man in history, King Solomon, said this. He said, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. So every day as a leader, pray to God for wisdom. Don't think you have it all figured out. In doing so, you're relying on God to help you be the best example for your employees and lead them to become better as well. If you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, um, you're like the boss of your kids, right? Um, you have the responsibility to lead your kids um, with, with the wisdom of God to serve them with humility, um, helping them become children who will respect authority, serve others, and love with a heart like Jesus. And it takes a lot of godly wisdom to do that, right? You don't want to lean on your own understanding in those situations. Um, now, if you have young people in the workplace that you oversee or maybe hold seniority over, um, know that you have the potential as their uh, employer, as their manager, to impact them and to change their life trajectory um, by your actions in the workplace. For an eternity, you have a huge opportunity with the young people underneath you in the workplace. Now, it's easy to get frustrated and maybe even a bit calloused at the young generation. Um, and from a young person myself who has held many jobs, I would express this for you guys as employers and as managers, is talk is cheap, but actions speak richly. Take what Paul writes here in verse 9 and use your, your, your position of influence to greatly impact a young person for an eternity. Now, there is work involved, and I um, just wanted to say, hey, the outcome outweighs the work any day of the week. And more than just having some great employees who are working up the, the ladder of your, of your business, you can also create some opportunities where the gospel is communicated and lives are being changed. Now, one of the best ways I've seen this communicated is simply stated as people over process. As a leader, when you put your people over the actual process of your job or of your business, you communicate clearly not only what Paul is saying here in verse 9, but you, commu uh, you communicate clearly that you are invested in people's lives. Way more than the actual process of the job that they may hold, you're invested in them as a person, and you are saying, God, this person has been underneath my care. How can I care for them? When you put people over the actual process of your work. And so when, God, when you do that, 
and, and you, you say, God, you've entrusted this person with me, and you care about the young people, you show that, hey, I'm caring about this person who's going to lead this company maybe, maybe lead our country, or even lead this church one day, and, and even lead the global church. shows that you're invested in them, that you actually care about them, which is huge. And by those actions, again, the gospel can be, can be communicated in a very uh, valid way for them, and they can begin to have some good conversations about, why are you so nice to me? I'm a young person. I mess up a lot. And right there is where you can say, hey, I love you. I care for you. God's given me you as, 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 as an employee. I want the best for you. And that can be a huge, huge impact on a young person's life. I know for myself, while playing football at a highly competitive high school down in Boise, Idaho, um, my coach, I feel, exemplified these qualities that Paul preaches on pretty well. Um, now, in the heathen moment, my coach may have said some choice words if I missed a block or misread the play in, in some way. I mean, it's football, it's crazy, it's, you know, it's competitive. But what really helped was his care afterward and his main mission of creating character in his football players and creating men out of his football players. My coach wanted to win games. Trust me, he loved winning. And we did win a lot of games on that team. But what he wanted more was to see his football team rise up to a challenge, grow, become leaders with integrity and character. He cared about the people way more than the actual process of winning a game. And to him, that was the ultimate win. It wasn't about just threatening us with extra lines and extra push-ups and all that stuff. It was about him caring about us as young boys becoming young men and becoming potential leaders. That's what he truly cared about. He knew in the very grand scheme of things, he wasn't the ultimate boss. God is. And so now for us as people, as reading Ephesians 6 and listening for a little bit, um, we, might, we might have identified some situations that you are currently in. So I want to ask you guys this question to ask yourselves is this, is, is what is God saying to me? What is God saying to me right now? It shouldn't be, you know, how to change your boss to give you more vacation days or how you can whip your employees into better shape to get a better profit margin or convince your teacher of no homework or even to get your kids down for nap time in 0.05 seconds, right? What, what, but what is God saying to you in your current setting? How can you start to work more for Jesus? I know for me there are some things I need to change, and I literally work for Jesus as a pastor here at LCN, right? So my prayer and my hope is that you too can evaluate who you are working for or working over and identify an area to adjust. So in this series through Ephesians, I hope that you're getting this theme that Paul is not in the business of giving you things that you would like to hear, but rather what you need to hear. And that can be overwhelming, but at the same time, remember that we have Jesus on our side and the Holy Spirit to empower us to make those adjustments in our life. So God is and God will use us and use you to change the world, but we may be changed along with it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning and just for your holy word, Lord, that we can take it and apply it to our lives. And so right now, Lord, as we leave this building, um, I pray that we can, can uh, ask ourselves those questions of, what do you want me to do with this, Lord? How, how does this apply to me? That we can assess and evaluate where we're at right now in life and how we can work more for you, Lord God, and, and give you honor in what we're doing. And so, Lord, uh, be with us today um, and keep us safe. And, uh, Lord, we, we, we just love you. We love that you sent your son to die for us so that we can have a hope and we can have a purpose that goes beyond today. 
pray these things in your name. Amen.